listeners, welcome to Quality of Life Podcast. My name is Stephanie. And my name is Mara. And we're both fourth-year medical students at Duke University. Last year, we realized we were still confused about palliative care and thought that if we were confused, others may be as well. To learn more, we spoke with patients, doctors, nurses, and other members of the medical community, and then created this podcast to share the information with you. Our four-episode series will cover the definition and misconceptions of palliative care. We will discuss topics such as the difference between hospice and palliative care, spiritual suffering at the end of life, healthcare power of attorney, and what it means to be full code. We will ask the questions that you want to ask but may feel uncomfortable discussing. This podcast is supported by the Duke Chancellor Service Fellowship. It is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. This episode will be told in three acts. In our first act, we will hear from doctors and social workers who will explain exactly what palliative care is. In act two, we will explore some of the common misconceptions of palliative care. And in Act 3, we will speak directly with patients to learn more about their experiences. Thanks for listening! Act 1. What is palliative care? We're going to hear from three different medical professionals. The first is Dr. Anthony Galanos. Formerly, I'm Anthony Nicholas Galanos, a, a palliative care attending and have been at Duke for almost 30 years. And our second guest is Dr. Jason Webb. Yeah. Um, so my name is Dr. Jason A. Webb. I'm a, a general internist, a general psychiatrist, and palliative care specialist uh, here at Duke University and Health System, and spend most of my clinical work um, in palliative care working with cancer patients. We spoke with both of them to learn more about what palliative care is and what palliative care physicians do. So... When I go in a room and the patient or family say, actually, I ask them, do you know what palliative care is? I got to say eight out of 10 times they shake their heads no. What we do, what palliative care truly is, is pain and symptom management. So that often boils down to simply saying, doc, I got a lot of pain or I'm short of breath or I'm constipated or I'm nauseated. And many times, doctors at Duke have already tried a few things, and it has not worked, so they consult palliative care. And I explain that I'm here to assess your symptoms and see if I can do something about it. That's part of my job, too. So first is symptom management, and then secondly is having hard discussions about advanced directives and goals of care. And that is so rewarding if we can help a patient communicate with his or her family, and if we can spare his or her family from confusion and chaos and pain at the end because they've already discussed what the patient wanted. That's ideal. That's very rewarding knowing that because we intervened, this patient and family have a plan. They are still hoping for the best. We never want to remove their hope but we want to help them have a plan B or a plan C in case plan A doesn't work out. So who's on our team? We have MDs, we have nurse practitioners, we have social workers, and we have a chaplain. So it's a team approach, and I think that works best. 
Another thing that we were confused about was which patients are supposed to see the palliative care team. Is it only for people with cancer? And when do they know that it's the right time? Um, we take care of patients who have really serious illnesses, things like cancer, heart failure, um, advanced lung disease, things like dementia, where we work together with um, other primary care doctors and specialists to help optimize people's quality of life. Um, so I work both in the inpatient setting in the hospital and in the outpatient setting, and it's probably where the majority of palliative care um, practitioners practice. Um, I personally um, see patients in our cancer center um, who have advanced cancers of all different types. Um, but most palliative care doctors can see, depending upon the type of health system they work in, again, patients with, um, as I mentioned, heart failure, um, so patients who are potentially going to get a transplant, mm -hmm. um, patients with things like COPD, emphysema, advanced lung disease. I see a lot of um, young adults with things like advanced cystic fibrosis or Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, um, in addition to patients with advanced neurocognitive disorders like vascular dementia, Alzheimer's dementia. Um, in addition to a whole host of other medical conditions that can cause severe symptoms. So this is oftentimes a, um, a question I get a lot, actually, even just from other colleagues. But um, one of the biggest challenges I see is when patients come to me and they say, I really wish I had known about you sooner. Um, and that's one of the things that sometimes breaks my heart when I hear that. Um, I think for a lot of patients, when you don't know that palliative care might help, um, it's sort of hard to know when to ask for that. Um, but what I would recommend to patients and what I actually tell my colleagues is that if you have a patient who has a serious illness, so an illness that you, with your best guess, maybe in the next three to five years might take their life, and they have symptoms that you're having a difficult time managing, you're noticing that their pain is escalating, that they're having psychological distress, like they're just having a difficulty coping with living day-to-day -day with an illness, navigating the medical system, um, that would be a time to ask your doctor, would it be okay if I had a palliative care referral? Um, I've yet to date ever had a patient come to me and say, you know, I think this is too early. Um, more often than not right now, it's that folks wish that they had known about these types of services sooner. Good palliative care should begin pretty much from the time that someone gets diagnosed with a serious illness. So from the time that someone gets diagnosed with advanced cancer, heart failure, dementia, they could be seeing a palliative care clinician while they're actively getting um, what we may call aggressive medical therapies. Um, but there's nothing more satisfying, and one of the things I love teaching my fellows about is seeing a patient who comes in particularly with a symptom crisis like uncontrolled pain, uncontrolled nausea, um, and having the expertise and skill to be able to really make an impact on that symptom and see somebody come back to my clinic in a couple of weeks, um, you know, pain much better controlled, nausea stopped, um, back enjoying activities that they normally like to do, um, and to be able to make that kind of a profound impact on somebody who's going through probably the worst days and weeks of their lives um, is really just amazing. Um, and so those are the stories, those are the things that, again, get me out of bed in the morning and, and into the clinic. Act 2, Misconceptions of Palliative Care. During our conversations with palliative care providers, like doctors, social workers, and patients, we started to realize that there were a lot of misconceptions about palliative care. The first misconception we'll talk about is that people tend to think that palliative care is end-of-life care. And that's exactly what I thought coming into medical school. Soon after I met Dr. Galanos, I realized that I was wrong. Palliative care is not, by definition, end-of-life care. It's about improving quality of life by improving symptoms. 
it is true that sometimes we're called when patients are at the end of life, but there again, it's to make them comfortable, not to hasten their death or to send them to hospice. We also spoke to Dr. Ray Barfield, and he provided some additional insight. My name is Ray, and um, I'm a pediatric oncologist. I have a little bit of a quirky job. Um, I teach philosophy in the Divinity School and um, also teach courses at the intersection of medicine and theology. Dr. Barfield explains that you can receive palliative care if you're dying or even if you're not. Well, guess what? The first time you walk into my, you know, cancer clinic, even if I am going to be able to heal you, to cure you of this disease, there's still things that I can ask you and help you with, like, well, what are you hoping for? What are you afraid of? What are your goals? Are you going to lose anything in the course of this treatment that it would be important for me to understand if I'm going to know you deeply? Does anything hurt? Are there other things that are causing suffering in your life? Well, I'll ask that the first day that you come in. Guess what that's called? It's called palliative care. Even if I'm going to cure you, it's called palliative care. And if I meet you, if unfortunately your cancer comes back and I meet you on the last day of your life and I come in and I say, tell me what you're afraid of. What are you hoping for? Is there anything that I can do today to improve the quality of your life? Is anything hurting? Are there any other things that are causing suffering that I can help with? It's called palliative care. I just happened to be doing it on the last day, but I was doing it on the first day as well. So what's the difference? Dr. Jason Webb, who we heard from earlier in this episode, agrees. There's a sort of misconception that um, talking to somebody about um, palliative care or meeting with a palliative care practitioner means that you're switching to a focus away from things like trying to get to a heart transplant or a lung transplant. When these, um, this type of care, and actually oftentimes what I'm hoping for with my patients is that if we can optimize their symptoms and talk about what they want, we help them find the best medical choices that fit best with their quality of life and what they need. And so I think the big misconception is that it means that we're going to stop doing things or take things away. Um, and oftentimes, actually, we end up doing more or providing more services than the patients may have been getting previously or help them better sort of navigate through the system. And oftentimes, people's quality of life may get better um, and their symptoms may improve, particularly to even end up being able to get a transplant or get on to the next type of therapy. I think one of the other um, misconceptions, and again, you know, speaking to patients and families is that um, there's this idea that um, by you know talking about death and dying kind of can be a self-fulfilling prophecy mm -hmm. that somehow or another if you sort of shift your focus away from um, thinking about that you're trying to be aggressive and that you know as Americans we're fighters that somehow or another that um, talking about things that might be in the future like the end of your life that that may end up just being a self-fulfilling prophecy, but that's not the case. Oftentimes, most, pe most people want to be able to have these conversations. If you 
look at surveys of most Americans, they'd actually prefer that their doctors spend some time talking about their prognosis and talking about these things. But oftentimes things are so rushed that it's oftentimes really difficult for people to have the time and space to do that. And we can work together with um, people's oncologists or cardiologists or pulmonary doctors to sort of help patients have the time and space to focus on that. And it's unfortunately even a misconception amongst other medical providers that um, you know, I've told patients or families that, well, we're not, it's not, we're not there yet, or it's not time for that. Um, but hopefully that paradigm is starting to shift a bit so that people can feel empowered that, you know, we're, again, we're all on the same team. Um, and I think for a lot of patients, they can sometimes worry, and I've encountered this particularly for folks with advanced cancer, is they can sometimes feel that if they ask for that, that somehow or another they may um, upset their doctor, that it might seem like they're, quote, unquote, giving up. Um, and I've had patients actually not want to bring that up because of concern for that. Um, and I'll say 99 times out of 100, um, their doctors are more than happy to make that referral. Um, and one of the things that is really important to know is that the palliative care team isn't there to take over your care or to switch a focus of your care away from other aggressive, appropriate medical treatment. It's to work together as a member of, of a team together with your doctors and nurses. history that we thought was kind of interesting actually is that the word palliative care comes from the medieval Latin root palliativus and literally means to cloak. When you think of that in the context of palliative care, it suggests that practice focuses on covering, masking, or cloaking symptoms of illness. But as we just learned, it is so much more than that. Absolutely, you're so right. It's so much more than that. Today, palliative care is a comprehensive, multidisciplinary approach that focuses on improving patients' quality of life, including their physical, psychological, and spiritual needs. When we first started this podcast, I knew that I had a lot more to learn, but I was surprised by just how much I didn't actually understand about palliative care before. I mean, for example, Steph, what were you most surprised to learn about? Well, I think one of the biggest things I learned that I didn't know beforehand was that palliative care is not just for people who are dying. And in fact, you can see a palliative care physician as an outpatient every week or so. They can help you manage your symptoms and you can still be getting curative treatment like chemotherapy at the same time. Yeah, that's a really good point um, and clearly something that is really misunderstood about palliative care. Um, but also just to take a quick step back for those of our listeners who aren't in the medical field, I just want to make a distinction between what inpatient and outpatient means. So inpatient is when um, a person is admitted to the hospital and then they're seen while they're in the hospital. And outpatient means that you're seen outside of the hospital, typically in a clinic setting um, that it's just an appointment basis. That's a great distinction. What did you learn, Mara? I thought it was particularly important how Dr. Webb was talking a lot about the different patients that he sees um, in his palliative care clinic, because I think a lot of people think of palliative care patients as typically being um, patients who have cancer, um, but it was really interesting to kind of hear about, you know, the fact that he sees patients with heart failure or COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, um, cystic fibrosis, and a lot of other chronic diseases. Yeah, and because of that, they're really experts at 
managing lots of different types of symptoms. They deal with complaints about pain, activity level, nausea, depression, anxiety, level of energy, appetite, shortness of breath, and just overall well-being of a patient. Since we've heard from the palliative care team, now let's hear from the patients. patient stories. We had the privilege of speaking with patients and their spouses about their experience with palliative care. We'll let them introduce themselves. So my name is Julie. I am 40 years old. I just turned 40 a few months ago. And I, um, for my profession, I actually do communications and design work. And um, I was recently diagnosed with cervical cancer, probably 18 months ago. Mm -hmm. I ended up in the hospital overnight, um, and this was during my first round of chemo treatment. I had previously had a long, multi-month radiation treatment several months before. So this past summer in 2017, I ended up in the hospital uh, because of a neutropenic fever. And while I was there, of course, my oncology team did rounds every morning and came to see me. Mm -hmm. So there's the oncologist, and then there's the fellow, and then there's the resident, you know. (laughs) So the team always came to see me, and they were very concerned about the fever, and they were mildly concerned about some of the other major challenges that I was having mm-hmm. and such as um, constipation, diarrhea, yes you can have both at the same time, and uh, just other types of pain that were not directly related to the cancer, however they were a byproduct. And so I was very insistent with them after a couple mornings and rounds when they weren't addressing these other problems with me that I needed I needed to get these figured out and I don't know who to talk to but I said I need I need for either you or someone else to help me figure these things out mm-hmm. and so uh, one of my oncologists put in a referral that morning for um, a palliative care physician to come see me and I was delighted when not one but two <laughs> palliative care folks came to see me in my hospital room that within an hour and introduced themselves, told me what they were about, and then they they got my story and then they left. And then within another hour, their boss came in with the with the two of them and they said, you know, again, he wanted to hear what I had to say, what was what my challenges were, and then they um they left when they left, I felt confident that I was going to be having a good follow up with one of their colleagues once I was out of the hospital. My palliative care physician, my pal, he has really been able to sort through a lot of the chaos of all of the things that are happening to me right now that are both painful and just, you know, uncomfortable um, or just 
not right health-wise. And one distinction that I've been able to make in my mind is that my oncology team is there to kill cancer, and that is their primary responsibility, and that is what they are experts in. However, they're not experts in insomnia or uh, constipation or diarrhea. That is not, they, they know things that they can tell you, and for a while those things might work or they might not work. However, their job is to kill cancer. And my pal's job is to help me with everything but killing the cancer. A healthcare provider was finally able to see all these other things that were happening with me that were affecting my daily life, literally hour by hour. And how I sleep, how I how I poop, how I um, have energy, how I go about my day, um, and that was really, it was really the golden key. Is what I needed. Is who I needed. Uh, I have been seeing a physical therapist for a while. Oh, there's also women's health issues that I have right now. So uh, because my radiation was in my pelvic area, most of my um, female reproductive parts are no longer operating or operating correctly. So I also see someone who specializes in that area, a PT, and also a, a local therapist that specializes in cancer patients that have challenges in those reproductive areas. So he has made recommendations and connections for those types of things. He has recommended different, not just prescription medicine, but also vitamins and supplements that might help things. I even got a, a recommendation for a an herbal tea wow. that will help with my constipation. So, you know, there's it's a whole variety of things. The only time I ever saw palliative care in the hospital was when I was first introduced to any palliative care medical team, and I only see him uh, as outpatient. I had a cervical cancer diagnosis in August of 2016, and it was not until the summer of 2017 that I was connected with a palliative care provider, okay. and they were not made known to me until then either. I don't know if this would have made a difference in my care or in my choice of care, but if I had been referred to a palliative care physician prior to starting any treatment for my cancer diagnosis, mm -hmm. I may have actually made different decisions about, about how to be treated. So radiation treatment for cancer is, now that I know, really tough on your body. And it's not just tough in those few months that you're doing it. It's really has lasting permanent effects on your body that I may have chosen a, to do a different type of treatment. And the reason I think that the palliative care may have made a difference in that is because they are full picture people and they what they handle is, you know, many months and years after your treatment and during your treatments, they may have been able to give me more insight as to the more permanent risks of getting a specific type of treatment. My radiation oncologist said, well, you can expect this and this and this. And it, at the time, it all seems fairly mild mm -hmm. and more temporary. So it would have been helpful. It, it, I almost feel like the moment you're, you get a diagnosis like this, you should also get a referral to a palliative care physician. And maybe you go to one appointment and you don't need any more forever. Or maybe it's like, it's like a great thing for you.
My name is Eric Malin. I'm the Assistant Vice Provost for Civic Engagement at Duke. I teach in the Sanford School of Public Policy. Um, I'm 57 years old, and um, my wife Judy Bick died in, on July 12th of 2017 from metastatic breast cancer. Judy and I met freshman year of college. Uh, we lived on the same hall at Tufts University. Judy was... Um, a psychoanalytic psychotherapist. Loved her work more than any single person I know. Felt it was a privilege to uh, do that work. She worked three days a week, so she was able to be a, a mom, staying at home when our kids were younger, and just had lots of other interests that she did on Mondays and Fridays, and she worked Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So uh, Judy was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer at the end of August 2016. And um, when we spoke to the oncologist with what was um, a very bad prognosis, the, the cancer had metastasized to her liver and bones. And um, he, you know, Judy immediately started talking about, should I get a palliative care doctor? And he said, I remember, you know, some people who get metastatic breast cancer immediately get a palliative care doctor, like because you are going to die from metastatic cancer. So you might as well start working with a palliative care doctor. Uh, Judy took that to heart and maybe two or three weeks later met and interviewed a palliative care doctor. I think my main perception of palliative care was that a palliative care doctor helps to manage your pain when you are dying. Uh, I now see it as something broader than that and that is one of the important things that um, our palliative care doctor did, but that's that's how I looked at it. I think what the palliative care team did for us was broaden the conversation from just uh, cancer treatment, which is what an oncologist knows best and what an oncologist does, um, to treatment of the whole person. And the psychological, the spiritual, um, the family aspects of this, our palliative care doctor met with Judy's mother, who was visiting with us, with one of our kids, uh, we have young adult children, with her sister, so got to know the whole family. And um, so we worked with him almost 11 months. Judy understood, and I think patients should understand that if you're working with a palliative care doctor, you know, it's somebody you're going to get to know in a whole variety of ways, very intimately, right, emotionally, physically spiritually and so it's somebody that you're going to want to resonate with and connect with and so much of what happens during illness is because so much of it is an emergency that you just get somebody right and they're doing their best and you're doing your best but you're like ships in the night and so this is a relationship you know it was everything from managing the incredible number of medications Judy was taking, which the oncologist can do, but I think the palliative care doctor, that's what they do. So because Judy had really bad ascites from the liver failure, from the uh, tumor in her liver, managing the ascites was the big issue. And that involved diuretics to the point where we would overdo the diuretics and she would get encephalopathic and get into the hospital and then they would go down on the diuretics, her ascites would be uncontrollable, 
they would do a paracentesis, it would go back down, and we were just on this seesaw. And we needed somebody to manage that seesaw. And that's what our palliative care doctor did. Every time trying to find that sweet spot where Judy could be comfortable. Judy built a team. She built a team of palliative care, faith, massage, psychotherapy, family. Um, and I, I wish for everybody that kind of team. And that that kind of team can hold you in this is, is kind of amazing. Well, my name is Dean. Marion is my first name, so I prefer Dean. And um, I guess, let's see, my journey is sort of very similar to my husband's. I have been working here at Duke for 26 years, so I'm very biased as far as health care. I am also a cancer survivor since 2002, so I'm, I'm going on 16 years for breast. And then I am a family member of a cancer survivor. My husband was diagnosed in January 2014. I'm Reverend Keith Johnson. Um, I'm a country boy, and um, I love the Tar Heels, and, <laughs> and um, I'm, a, I, I'm a basketball fanatic, and I, I miss no games. Like I said, I'm a minister also, and I true believe in faith. So, 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 that's a little bit about myself. I'm married to Marion Dean Johnson. We've been married for 20 years. And um, when I first met her, she was, you know, you know, like my apple of my eye. And we both are cancer survivors. Mm -hmm. When I found out that I was diagnosed with um, pancreatic cancer. Um, I thought my I thought my life was over. So um, we, when we found out he had pancreatic cancer, it was definitely a journey because um, in 2013 December we spent six straight weeks here. Uh, not knowing what was going on with my husband. He had excruciating stomach pain and nausea to the point where it was unpredictable. We could, he could be up one minute and then this pain hits and then walks in the chief hospitalist who really saved my husband's life by doing a stomach MRI, whereas no one else, they thought the CAT scans weren't showing anything, so maybe it was just something, you know, with his stomach going on. But um, thank God for that hospitalist who um, came in and said, no, we're going further with this. And he found the pancreatic cancer, and it was small, thank God, and it was in the tail. So they were able to remove it surgically, laparoscopically, so we're very, thankful for that, you know. So he, he and I both share our survivorship as well as we had similar treatments, different medicines with the chemotherapy and the radiation and all that. But he was fortunately exposed to a discipline that my, I, I'm in a breast cancer group, and uh, most of us who are survivors have, were, was not exposed to palliative care. But my husband was exposed to palliative care 
head on quickly because they wanted someone to help deal with his symptoms. I didn't know, I, I didn't know quite what that meant. I know my wife probably did because she's in the medical field, but I I didn't quite understand that. Um, but as time went on, I figured it out. Well, I always knew what it is, and I never questioned it, and I never thought about it. I never associated it with, oh, my God, does that mean my husband's terminal? Never even thought that. I just said, oh, my God, this is a blessing. We're going to have someone to deal with these symptoms. Yeah, I never even thought the negative part. I thought it would be a good layer to our care. To be honest with you, pal I mean, now, let's be honest. God is first and foremost in our life. And we love our onco his oncologist and the surgical oncologist, all of the team. But the palliative care was the icing on the cake for my husband. They really got it. And they got him. They weren't afraid of the pain. They wanted to dig deep and see what the symptoms are because they wanted him to be able to continue the quality of life that he's always had. They wanted him to be able to go to his basketball games, even though he was going through treatment because the time of his treatment was right there at basketball season. So they wanted him to do all that. And uh, it would have been hard to get through this process without him because, as you know, with palliative care, not only was he dealing with my husband as the patient, but it was, it was a family focus. And so knowing some of the things that we could do to um, divert the pain, if you could, or to make it lessened uh, was a family affair. So um, Dr. Bain and, you know, his team has been phenomenal. They, they are, like I said, they're not afraid of pain. They deal with his symptoms, the anxiety and the pain issues, and it's still some nausea. And the team, they really talk to each other. Palliative care is a godsend and it was a blessing and it still is for my husband and our family. Because that, you know, because something like this yeah. changed you. It really do. You know, man, when you just, I mean, just think that if you had to say his and somebody take your hand and take a hammer and finally hit it, your anxiety would go way up, you know, so, oh my God, this finna hurt. So I, I'm thinking, Man, I mean, my wife, my 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 child, you know, I got so much to do, and um, and you know, it's it just it's just remarkable, mm -hmm. and um, I'm uh, I'm greatly, greatly, greatly um, um appreciative of of the doctors, of um because they have really, really changed my life and, and how I see life and how I live life and, and how I post life now. Mm -hmm. Gave me a, a look at life that, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. You know, you, you never know. You know, you can be up one moment and then all of a sudden it come crashing down the next moment. And, and, and with great people behind you like that, you know, you you can lock down. The, I mean, you you think you can lock down the door. That's it. You know, my doctor just. You know, when I I'm so happy when I'm I'm so happy when I see my doctor. When I see him, he just make me smile, and um, even he, he give me hope. You know, when I see my doctor.